Hello and welcome to Something Inventive. Uh, today we're going to be looking at problem solving uh, with special guest Ben Everard. Hello, Ben. Hey, how you doing? I'm very good, although I was saying to you earlier, I had a very large lunch. I'm not sure what that's going to do to this podcast, whether it's going to make it easier for me or not. But uh, as you said, you only live once. Well, life's a lottery, right? So, you know, and if you're going to have a big lunch, it may as well be on a Friday. So there you go. Absolutely. Thank you. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you came to be where you are now? Sure thing. So my name's Ben Everard. I'm co-founder, developer at the Idea Bureau. Um, we work with charities, not-for-profits and SMEs worldwide, creating products for the stories that matter. Wide range of exciting topics. Yeah, I've uh, just brought your website up here for people to have a look at. Uh, are there are a few example projects you'd like to talk about? There's a there's a project on here which we worked on at the start of the, or we finished at the start of the year. The one that you can just see there, the blue, um, that one there. And this one's a very special project for us. It, it's a, a mapping project where we documented the legal status of street children worldwide. So that's an important project for us. You know, we work with a lot of charities. The, their entire purpose is to spread a message. And um, so being able to spread this message was quite important. And how did you get involved with working with charities? My partner in crime, Shane, my business partner, before we formed the company, which was six and a half years ago now, his previous job, he used to work with, um, with charities. So he had a couple of contacts and it kind of snowballed, really. And once upon a time, we, we looked at our, our charity clients and we drew a, um, a picture back as to where they came from. Mm-hmm. And actually, they came from one source. And you can, you can see them all kind of one recommendation to another to another. And uh, yeah, so it, it kind of happened through that. But as time goes on, just natural referrals kind of uh, kept it going. We get a lot of referrals from the, the work we just saw there. Lots of people want to do uh, mapping and showing information like that in, in interesting ways and resource centers and uh, and the like. So, um, yeah, it's just, I guess we, we fell into it to a certain extent. But that's, you know, sometimes that's nice, right? You know? Yeah, it is. Certainly if you enjoy working with them. And, and another question I'll have on that is, do they differ really from working with a, let's say a regular business, but a for-profit business? Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, at the end of the day, they still have goals. It's just their, their goals are different. A business for profit will act, you know, one of their goals will be for profit, obviously. But for a charity, it's more about the message and, and mm-hmm. being able to share that message with other people. And you usually you tend to see that charities are maybe at least the ones that we've uh, had experience with they're a bit more patient they're, they're more willing to wait for a good product as opposed to wanting to absolutely know something now but maybe you know um, compromise somewhere else so i think there are some, some there are some differences there and it's, it's just nice working with charities also as well they tend to come with big comms teams and having a, a comms team where they handle all of those kind of the marketing strategy and those kind of bits and pieces it's very useful because yeah. We get to lean on their expertise and they get to lean on our expertise. And that's just something that we really like doing. So yeah, charities are great. We love working with them. So I met Ben at uh, WorldCamp Bristol. I went along to one of your... Um your presentations, which I thought was very good. I came up to you after gushing a little bit, I must apologize about that, um, saying how you reminded me of, certainly in, in the way that you spoke, not necessarily in the voice, you sounded a bit like Sir Ken Robinson. It's funny actually, because I remember when you came up and said that, and I, I couldn't at the time remember that particular person or, or specifically the TED talk that I knew I'd seen before, yeah, yeah. but that's very kind of you. I literally have no idea what you're thinking because as far as I'm concerned, I'm just I'm up there on fire, you know, as in like, I feel like I'm so under pressure in the sense that I almost feel so self-conscious that I must have done something wrong. And I feel it very perplexing when people come up afterwards and compliment. And that's uh, it's very nice of those people I knew as well to, to say. Yeah, I think it's that you, there's two things for me. It's the fact that you appeared relaxed. So whether you're not, whether you're not, we can't see that, but you yeah. appeared relaxed and also you weren't 
look too rigid about the presentation. I mean, you may have been extremely rigid about the presentation, but it didn't look like it. But I think that's really valuable when you're listening, because if you're if you're an interesting speaker, it doesn't actually matter what you're talking about, as long as the it's interesting and your voice changes tone. It's not the same monotone speed yeah. all the time. <laughs> oh, excellent. Yeah, it's funny actually because when I was younger and I needed to get a job, I did what everyone did, we got a job in retail. To survive retail and to survive the public, I kind of just started having a bit of fun and messing around. And, and I, I guess that's why I figured out that, yeah, you can't be monotone. You, you've got to be personable with these things. At, at least in that sense, I think I, I try and get it across. And yeah, the, the funny thing is with like talks that I do is that they're very generic. I try not to be too technical with them. So hopefully that everyone can, can get something out of it. I think at that WordCamp Bristol talk, we had developers, designers, mm. copywriters, product owners, you know, I, I was with quite a few people afterwards and it's just lovely to hear that someone got something out of it and uh, that's really all the goal is really yeah and the, the topic was the art of problem solving tell me how you got to this point of developing that talk well at the start of this year in 2019 i really wanted to get back into public speaking i'd done a bit of it before i like putting myself under that pressure because there's nowhere to hide. It feels like you really have to know the topic. And I think there's no better way of proving to yourself, if not proving, the exercise of trying to learn more, of researching that topic and, and, and getting it to a point where you can deliver it to an audience of people in a concise manner. So I really wanted to get back into public speaking. And the reason why I chose that topic is because I wanted to do something which was generic, you know, kind of style talk. You know, I'm a developer, but there's plenty of other people who can talk about development better than I can. So I thought that I should steer clear of that and leave that to someone else. Um, and the reason why I came to that topic specifically was because over the last year or so, I've become more interested in the mechanics of problem solving and, and the effect it has on us, but also the methods of which we can improve ourselves, our teams, our organizations, just to kind of make ourselves better, really. It's a perfect opportunity to learn more about it. It's, it's almost quite selfish, really, because yeah. I'm doing it more for me than anyone else. But, you know, it still works. I've, I've used the same strategy for a lot of talks or, or workshops that I do. It's not necessarily I don't know about it, but it gives you the opportunity to dive into a subject a little bit more. We did something recently for, got a, like a review app called Say Hola, which we use for our clients. And I wanted to dive into a little bit more about how to get better five-star reviews and that sort of thing. Well, I know about it and I, I do, as like a marketing coach, I talk to clients about it. But I thought it would be really good to put a presentation together and really have something I can say and sort of transport that around. And it was, it was exactly that. I wanted to know a lot more and really dive into it, give me an excuse to do that. So yeah. you've got to create something, otherwise it never happens. Absolutely, and I think the cool thing about I mean, obviously, you might research the topic once. I mean, I did one big research kind of sprint with it, I guess. You know, I've given that particular talk, I think, maybe four times now, I think. And I've got another one coming up soon. But every time you deliver it, you're teaching again. And the, and the cool thing about giving a talk is that, or teaching in spe specifically, is that you learn 90% of what you teach. So you're always learning. And of course, with, with any talk, depending on how kind of precious you are over it, every time I give the talk, it's always changing. It's like it just keeps giving you that reward, which is... Yeah, it's consolidating it down. That's an interesting way to look at it actually that if you want to learn something that you should put everything down even if you're not fully confident about it but you can go through that and explain it to someone else because those pieces do just fall into place i think we might be talking about this at some point but that's the whole point about rubber duck programming is that we're forced to talk to an, inan an inanimate object about our problem and because we're trying to deliver that in a manner of which is simplistic perhaps 
you're forcing yourself to access that part of the brain you know, to explain that problem. And in doing so, you start to uncover some of the, the things yourself. What I find quite interesting, and I said at, um, I gave this talk at WordPress Cheltenham last month, I think. Uh, someone asked, you know, have you heard of rubber duck programming? And I was like, I have, absolutely. My wife is my rubber duck. My wife, Lorna, she works with, with wildlife at the RSPCA. So she's not technical. She hates computers, which is awesome because when I ask her to help me, she asks all the questions that no one else would ever ask forces you to teach that thing or that person, whoever, whatever it is, uh, about that thing. And it unlocks it in your mind. So teaching, it's a great way of learning. Absolutely wonderful way. Yeah, I often used, used to use my mum for that, actually, because she was great. Because she does use technology. She likes using technology as a tool, but she doesn't, she's not particularly interested in it. So she's perfect for that. And if I can show her something, she'll bring up these obvious questions, like, why isn't it doing this? Oh, of course. Of course it should do that. It's obviously something that, you know, when we're surrounded by this every day, we take for granted. So, and it's very useful as well yeah yeah so that's definitely part of it uh, perhaps walk us through the process if you if you are problem solving and I, I remember you talked about five steps do you want to take us through those yeah sure thing so in my art of problem solving which at the end of my talk i admit i don't know if it's an art or not it's just how <laughs> i do it but someone else might have a different approach and and that's really cool you know in my particular way of thinking about it i think there's five steps i think there's discovery there's no way you can you can fix your problems if you don't know what they are so being proactive about discovering those problems uh, step two was understanding so i think it's really important to spend the time to really get to know the problem if you don't understand it you're not solving the problem that exists you're solving a problem that that kind of exists on the sidelines as such so mm -hmm. understanding is huge you know you know the whole measure twice cut once that's the whole thing we should spend yeah. more time thinking than we should be doing so yeah. that's a really important part i think and then it goes on to solving which i think is uh you know obviously it's, it's the most specific step depending on what you're what you're you're, you're doing if you're a developer or a project manager those two steps will be different but I think we should be mindful to keep things simple and obviously every, everyone says keep things simple but it's really important because complexity becomes a resource drain and then all of a sudden that thing becomes more difficult to maintain yeah. which means it's going to be more likely to fail which is going to cause you problems making sure we solve that problem well and solve it once I'm very keen on making sure we, I do and then finally the last two steps are reporting problems if I go back to the start of it problems they could either be you're recovering from a failure or you're trying to take on a challenge. Mm -hmm. But either way that you're trying to improve the odds of something. And I think, I think that if you're recovering from failure, it's very likely that someone needs to know why you failed or why something failed, how you, how you know it failed, how you tested it, um, how you fixed for it. And being able to report upon that to a stakeholder, whether that's your, your team, a client, an industry perhaps, mm -hmm. I feel that's pretty important. And it's a strength to report those things, not a weakness. Or even just yourself the next time, because that problem may crop up again. It may not be a, a, a something that is solved permanently. Absolutely. Uh, and you need a reminder when it comes up again, how to deal with it quickly. And that, and that, that kind of flows quite nicely into step five, which is about sharing. And the reason why I put sharing in here is because, like we were saying a second ago, you learn 90% of what you teach. So it's obviously it's self-serving to us to an extent as well. Also, when we've solved a problem, we may have just solved it for ourselves, but we could also give that knowledge to our team and we've solved it for our team and we've pushed our team forward. Or maybe we can do that for our industry and we can share our knowledge on Stack Overflow or we could do talks or we can, can go further and you can share at the end as well. And, and that helps other people grow as well as your own growth. So I think that's what the five steps are in, in summary, but whether or not that's the kind of the, the be all and end all of that. I, I think it fits, fits rather well. And I, for me, the the most useful one, or they're all useful, but the, 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 the one that's most important is discovery. It's, it's really understanding, A, that you have a problem. Some of them are shouting in your face, and you, you know, the server's down. 
people aren't seeing the website, they're not able to buy, there is an error on on the site. Some things are obvious, but some things aren't. It's often, I mean, this can be for people personally, professionally, or, or, you know, it's an external problem. A lot of the time, people don't know there's a problem. And I think that's the biggest thing. And you you, you can almost see this when you look at other people's websites, or you look at other people's businesses. I've been watching a lot of um, Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares. And it's it's obvious for me, watching it, it's obvious Gordon Ramsay, when he comes into the business, that all these things are wrong. But it's because they don't realise it. You know, they, they might see a problem like we haven't got enough money or we haven't got enough customers coming in but they're not really understanding what the true problem is because they're not discovering it you can't do anything even if you know there's a problem unless you're really looking into it yeah and i think that's where one really 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 useful benefit you could have upon yourself is just being open with the idea that you have a problem or maybe you don't maybe maybe you're just seeking someone's advice but i don't think there's much to be gained by being stubborn and, and assuming that you don't have any issues because everyone does, you know. And, and again, the cool thing about problem solving is that it's not just for our work. It's for everything. Problem solving is generic, you know. So I feel like, although the people who are close to me might, might disagree because I can be quite stubborn sometimes, but <laughs> I do drive and I think it can be useful to be open to the idea that we're human, we're going to have problems. I think once you are open to it and you can do it more often, then it's it's easier to be open next time. And, and maybe that's why it links back around with sharing because... If you've gone through a process and you share it, you you feel a bit more confident to be open to maybe people actually saying, well, that's great. I'm really pleased you solved that. But actually, there's an even better way because they're sharing it back to you. And then so so next time it's even faster. Absolutely. And one of the other things about being open about these things is that if you're open, so we talked about reporting a second ago, you know how to frame a problem. But all of a sudden now you can get support and you can share that problem with someone else. So yeah. that's a really that's a really useful benefit because now all of a sudden you've got two mindsets working at the same problem, perhaps. So you're going to come to a much better solution, you would argue. I would agree with that. Often a problem may or may not be big, but in your head it can be just by giving it to someone else. It, it may not make it their problem, but it's not so big because you know you've got some reaction from them. Hopefully they're not running around going, ah, oh, that's a, that is a real problem. <laughs> yeah, if they run a mile, then you've got, you, you, you know, you're out of luck. Yeah, you, but I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. But that's, that's like, that can be quite useful, actually. Sometimes when I feel like I've got a problem which is, you know, maybe too much for me to handle or it's just overwhelming, I'll just, I'll just take a moment. I'll, I'll ring up Shane, my business partner, and say, right, here's what I've got. And he'll just take a minute and say, actually, that's not a problem at all. Because if you solve that, that, and that, well, everything will fall into line. Yeah. And having that kind of uh, support mechanism is quite useful if it's like we said earlier on rubber ducking you know if you if your wife you know, can help you or you've got business partners or maybe even if it's just peers locally or remote mentors or whatever it is you know it can be useful to have a mentor or someone to bounce ideas off and that actually goes in line with another comment i made from your or note i made from your presentation about writing things down writing problems yeah. why is that so useful as humans we're flawed right we're, we're we're pretty bad we've got this wonderful brain in our head it can't do multitasking it can't cope with too many things at once so if you've got a hundred problems rattling around your head you're going to be next to useless so writing them down just gets them out of your mind and mm. it gives you some room to focus it's it's like that safe space knowing that you've given that problem the respect of documenting it somewhere and also of course now it's documented someone can help potentially you can support but it means that you've actually committed it to paper or to trello if that's your thing or whatever works and it just gets it out of your mind you need a free mind the idea of having too many things to think about or context switching could it paralyzes you so depends on what i'm doing really but i tend to put them in trello yeah. if it's for, if it's for work if i'm working on a problem let's say i'm fixing my car or something i will put that in my personal notion workspace and i do that because i could i can use that data in funny ways you know to, to try and make best use of it or if like you would say just write it on a bit of paper in fact i think on my 
on my field notes, I always carry field notes with me in one of the field notes, but I forget where it says it. It says, you're not writing it down to remember for later. You're writing it down to remember for now. It's the art of committing it to paper. That's what takes it out of the forefront of your brain and packs it away somewhere. You've not forgotten about it. You're just putting it to one side for now. So writing it down is hugely important. However you do it, it doesn't really matter. No, it doesn't. It is It is uh, removing it from here to allow your mm. brain to function correctly. Because it's very good at surfacing things when is when it's ready, when those connections have linked through and it goes, exactly. oh, you need to do this. But it's never usually at the right time. Sometimes it is. If you're in a flow, that can work quite well. Yeah. But then you also mentioned context switching. And that's something I, I've often been terrible at for most of my career. I'll think of something, oh, I'll do that. I'll think of something else, right, I'll leap onto that. And it's it's terrible. It's so destructive to having any chance of flow. Just remembering, it gets worse as you get older, but just remembering actually what you're doing 30 seconds ago because you're, you're flicking around, you're giving your brain a hard time. Having a little scrap of paper just by the side of the desk, just to, that thought comes in, I can note it down, I'll get back to that. I was going to ask about apps. Is it just uh, Trello's, uh, we don't use Trello, but I... I I do recommend it to a lot, a lot of businesses if they want to start out with a free to-do yeah. thing tracker. I think it's, it's a great tool. Very um, visual. It puts everything in a space. You know where things are. It's very easy to look at the board and see what you've got on, depending on how you've got it set up. We you, yeah, we use Trello quite a lot. If we get clients involved or not, you know, to see maybe the, you know, the process and, and, and how complete certain tasks are. Specifically, I mean, for the problem-solving side of things, I, I wrote a Trello power-up to prior, help prioritize those there's cards as well. So that can be quite useful. As far as apps goes, we do use Notion as well. Notion has its own kind of Caban board situation going on. Mm-hmm. And that can be very useful because you can you can put that in a calendar and you can do things with it. But uh, yeah, it's a wonderful product. It basically, it's like Google Docs slash Trello slash calendars slash everything else you've ever heard of. But it's not, not in like a, an overwhelming way. Um, oh, it looks just, nice. Yes, it looks very uh, sort of modern design. Yeah, really. exactly. And and you can you can make of it what you will. I think that's the benefit of it. So if you want it to to work in a particular way, then you just you just change it to have a way however you want to work. Uh, yeah, it's a wonderful tool, and uh, I'd I'd recommend people take take a look at it. It's good for project management. Yeah. So that's on domain notion.so. I mean, it's, it's we're deviating off problem solving, but I think part of problem solving is is that removal of stuff from your head to let your brain help solve those problems. Well, there you go. This is it. And uh, yeah, I mean, Notion and Trello, I think, are the key tools that I've been using to, to problem solve, or at least to kind of manage that process. You also mentioned in your talk about rating things on this effort impact scale. Yes. Do you want to explain that a little bit? So we were, we were mentioning just a second ago about how we really should be writing our problems down. Uh, and I think that's the case because we're useless at remembering 100 things, or at least having 100 things in our, in our brain and then doing one thing well. So I don't think that yeah. works very well. So we write them down somewhere. But of course, when they're, when you've got 100 problems or solutions, perhaps in Trello, all of a sudden, no one's going to be able to go to that board, that Trello board and pick one task and then go and work on it with a fresh mind, knowing that that actually is the correct task to work on right now. That's the mo- most important task that we could be working on, you know, investing our time and our our money in so we should prioritize and, and the way that i like to do it is through um something called the effort impact scale the effort impact scale is a quadrant which uh, i'm not sure if i can expect but it's, it, there's, there's four squares and you've got two axes uh, axes so basically on one axis i think it's on the bottom we have our effort and on the other axis 
on the left going upwards, we have our impact. So basically, we gauge whether a problem or it's more actually a solution technically, uh, whether a problem or a solution is a high impact or low impact, exactly like that. So you can see in that top left hand corner where it says low hanging fruit, basically, that's a task or a problem or a solution that takes you no time to fix, but it's going to give you a massive profit. So you're going to want to do that right now. Mm. Bits that are on the top right hand side, they take a lot of effort to complete, but they'll give you some profit. So they're what we would call a project. So they're going to take more time, but we should totally do them. On the bottom left hand side, where it says second wave in this instance, I think on mine, I would say call it a task or something. Yeah, I'm not sure what second wave means. I'll probably have to read this article. Oh, here we go. Second yeah. wave. So I think they, the funny thing with this method is that they use different terminology, but they all mean the same thing. <laughs> so the one on the bottom left there is low effort. So it doesn't take much effort, but it doesn't give you much in return. Mm. So that's a task when you're, I don't know, maybe you've got a spare five minutes. In the bottom right hand side, it says probably defer. In my one, it says forget about it. Because if it's going to take you a load of effort, but it's going to give you not a lot of profit, well, then it's not worth your time. So in this particular instance, if we talk about WordPress, maybe we want to implement Gutenberg. Well, that's not going to be the work of, a, of an hour. It's more effort needed, but it will give us the profit we want you know, maybe it's going to help our client. And actually, as part of a team, went through all of your problems and said, how much effort is this? How much impact is this? You could mark each one of them. And then all of a sudden, you've prioritized every single one of your problems. And then immediately, you know exactly what to work on. So this is just a really useful way of removing ambiguity around what you should be working on. Because if you're working on the wrong thing, you're wasting your time and your yeah. money. And if you're, if it's a big problem, you could be wasting your whole organization's time. So that's why I feel like prioritizing it is important. And you, we were talking a second ago about context switching. You know, when you prioritize and you've got one problem to work on, you're completely free to work on and focus on just that one issue. And you can go crazy on it. You know, you can really unlock every last bit of that problem because mm -hmm. you know it's the only thing you've got to work on. Is there a way that you note this down? So if you've got a task list, is there a way of, well, let's say, how would you do, how would you organize things in trouble? against this scale before i create, created that you can kind of just use labels and you can say oh this is a project that's something else that's something else but actually now what i do is with the effort impact plugin or power up that i created you just say that this particular card is low effort a high impact and you do that for every single one of your car cards in trello and then you can hit the sort button and it just it puts all uh, of the really important stuff at the top that's the good thing all, yes all of the useless stuff at the bottom and even if you just start working from the top down you're already winning so that's how i do it i know people who just do it on paper. They do it complete on paper. In fact, if you've got a whiteboard, you can draw on a whiteboard and use post-it notes. And now all of a sudden you have 20 post-it notes, which are high priority, 10, which are a project and you know, so on. So actually it doesn't have to be clever. It doesn't have to be technical. It doesn't have to be Trello. It could be, it could just be on, on the back of a, um, you know, in your notepad or a back of an envelope. So the effort impact scale is quite common. So if you go and read up about it online, you'll be able to find a way that it works for you. And that's the wonderful thing. It, it, it can work in so many different ways. Yeah. And, and it's something maybe to bring to, to client meetings as well. It's often quite easy for work to be mounted on you without either party having an idea about whether it's truly useful. Quite easy to do. But actually, if this is brought into part of your process, you can say, well, where should we put this? It's like every single task must have someone's assigned to it, maybe a date if that's necessary, but certainly what level of effort and what, what impact is it for, yeah. for you, client? That could help you then prioritize it as the as the developer or, or the, the manager of that project, but also Absolutely. determine whether you actually need to do that uh, task at all, which is often the case. That's one of the things that I talk about in the problem solving talk was, yeah, one of the biggest questions to ask is, is it does it even need solving? Because actually sometimes, and we, we've done it, I give an example, I mean, I'm quite, I'm quite honest with it really, because I think it's quite funny, but in the talk, I give an example where we made this very mistake. You know, we made something which I think the example was in the header of, 
a website we were building, we had a, a search icon. And when you clicked on it, the search box would appear over. It wasn't really all that complicated, but the header had some other complicated parts to it. And when you put all of this together, it actually created quite a problem. It, it was difficult to code. It was difficult to maintain. A couple of weeks after launch, because we launched this because we you know, we weren't very clever. Um, a couple of weeks after launch, I had the misfortune of having to go back and check this one little component. And I was so annoyed. I thought, what can I delete to improve this? I, I went to ask the question to solve the answer. Is that the correct way of saying it? I, I basically, I went to analytics to see if anyone used this particular feature and no one used it. 7,000 users and about 10 people used the search. So yeah, that's a very important question. Should we even be doing this? Because like we were saying earlier on, if you get, if you get it wrong and you're solving this problem, you're wasting everyone's time. But if you're solving a problem that never needed solving, you're definitely wasting your time. So yeah. that's an important one to figure out, you know, big time. Yes, definitely. There was another quote about here. You said, uh, very little will cost you more than having to do something twice, which I, I quite like the idea yeah. of that. And then rubber duck program, we've already spoken about that. And I think that is useful to find something you can talk to. I'll often do it with a dog when I'm out walking. If I haven't got podcasts in, especially if I've got a problem, I'll just talk it out. I'll just say the problem. I can hear it in my head, which is yeah. quite bizarre. I hear it in the question in my head first, and then I'll say it out loud. And then I'll say, why am I, why am I talking to myself when I'm saying it in my head? But it's really useful. The dog doesn't help much, but it's it's that it's that person who is I, I'm talking to. <laughs> Rubber ducks don't talk back either, so uh, I think that's fine. Maybe maybe I should borrow a dog somewhere in the village or something. I should borrow a dog and just go for a walk. It's that idea of verbalising it, and in verbalising it, you have to explain it to something. To that end, I think that's where you start to unlock it in your mind. Rubber duck programming is hugely important. In fact, actually, at the WordCamp Bristol talk, I mentioned this, and then someone in the front row started kind of making some movements. I'm like, what's going on here? And you know where this is going. There was a team from Yeovil, who are yeah. quite local to us, Purple Digital. Yeah, that's uh, that's, that's right. Uh, the lady in the front row, she had a Purple Digital rubber duck. So that was quite apt. And, uh, you know, I like it when people bring props to talk. So that was quite useful. Just as an aside, that's one of the reasons we started this podcast. I find it difficult to write. I can edit, okay, but I'm not so good at writing. I find it very difficult to get things from here onto paper. The whole point of this podcast was a problem-solving podcast. It's a way for me to talk about things that we've looked at, things that we've done, get other people on just to get more ideas and then that helps that can unlock things in me and, and hopefully some good comes out of it in the links that we find or little tidbits of information you know such as you're sharing yeah and that whole the whole thing was based on the idea that i need a vent <laughs> getting stuff out of my head so i thought that everyone should share in that yeah and it's funny actually because i i'm really bad at writing in fact i've got like i think five blog posts which have just been drafts for like years and i think at some point wherever i've got the medium or somewhere we'll just automatically delete them because they know that i'm not going to write them so actually yeah this is, this is a pretty good way of doing it i guess i just remembered actually before we talked about rubber duck programming you mentioned about doing something you know um what was the quote very little will cost you more than having to do something twice when i'm doing the talk i always forget that i always have to read it from the from the sides and you know what i, I love about problem solving i alluded to it earlier on it's got literally nothing to do with wordpress nothing to do with marketing nothing to do with anything it's so generic obviously the quote is, is generic i was reminded of that quote because i was watching a video about this this person and they were stripping down a, a car engine and they got to the point where they were taking the exhaust off and for the listeners who are car nerds like me they'll know that when you're taking an exhaust off, those bolts are usually fried. It's so probable you're going to tear a bolt off, strip a thread or something. And at that point when this person was, was stripping this engine, they stopped and they took time just to think about this. Because if they screw that up, they're going to have twice the amount of work to do. And I actually learned that very lesson. I was recently changing the clutch on my car, uh, which is another form of problem solving, obviously. And it happened an exhaust bolt snapped as I was taking it off. But the, the reason why I mentioned this in the talk and now is because actually you learn this from anywhere. 
Like yeah. literally problem solving is everywhere. And whether or not you play golf or you're knitting or you're a woodworker or you do WordPress or Drupal or you're anything, it literally doesn't matter. You can learn it from everywhere, even car videos on YouTube. So yeah, exactly. And then you can, you can use them across industry. Have you heard of the website called ifixit.com? Yes. It's, I mean, that is a wonderful example of problem solving in the sense that if you have an, a laptop battery to replace on a MacBook, let's say, they literally step by step. So as far as that website goes and, and how they enable someone to problem solve and to do something, it's quite interesting. And I think when I was repairing my car, I spent so long researching. That's where other people, when they're sharing their knowledge and they're they're basically enabling you to do to, to solve your own problem that maybe you might share in the future as well. Yeah, actually, I won't I won't bring it up now. I'm just sharing the iFixit page, but I remember when the HomePod first came out because I, I love technology. I I, I like I'm interested in. It. I've always have been since I'm about ten years old. With every product they get, they try and get it as soon as they can, and then they they break it up so they can figure out how to fix it if at all possible. And I remember them looking at the HomePod video or the HomePod step by step instructions. They made a huge mistake of ripping off. I think it was the outer cover, but they couldn't see because it's so well made so well put together they couldn't see how it was put together but once they had taken it apart they could see exactly what they needed to do so so they've solved that problem at their expense but it's nice to have that you know that sharing is beneficial to them because they can make money from it but also it's beneficial to other people and I, I know your notes on on this podcast episode that later on you'll talk about sustainability in a sense for plastics and I feel like the iFixit side of things enabling kind of the, the repairing of something making that product more sustainable in the sense that we're able to keep it for longer it's not going to end up in landfill so soon if we're looking at the world with a cynical eye you might actually think that things are being built to not be fixed mm. anymore and that's a problem a youtube channel called i think it's called motherboard and they have a series about fixing things and there was one in particular which was about the i think it was free engineers who keep the the presses at the new york times alive and these are presses from you know years ago but they're so mechanical and they must stay alive consumerism might suggest that everything else doesn't need to so that's why i like i fix it i think the fact that they've broken into their own home pod helps everyone else not do the same thing so um, yeah exactly yeah, to them. our sponsor is inventive people and um inventive people is <laughs> It's a collective of technical marketing folk and uh, creative people that I've worked with over oh, almost almost 10 years now. I know it can be a real pain to find people for the right project. I find it myself and we usually find them re through referral or other people we're working with. And slowly over time, I get to know people work with them and we're building up contractors that we're working with. And it's just getting to know the right ones is, is, is difficult. But even just a project from working out what the initial cost is or dealing with any, any uncertainties of working with that new person. What we've done is we've put to we've put together 60 of the most common marketing and promotional tasks. You know, a lot of the things that we're asked for on a day-to-day -day basis, how long it's going to take. We've got a bulleted list of what's included and what isn't, all before you agree to do anything. So I found that over, I mean, we've only launched this last year, and I found that over the course of it, it's a lot easier for people just to understand what they're going to get and sort of reduce that risk for a lot of the projects we do. Um, so let's just take an example. We've got it up on screen at the moment. So let's have a look at a video production. So let's say you wanted to get a few client case studies done. What you can do is you go to the video production section, you can click on client case study video, you've got the price there, you know it's going to be for a half day filming, we can see that it's on site or a choice of location, maybe the client or maybe you can get the clients to come to one place. 
We can choose the length of the video. So actually we might say, no, I want a bit longer than that. So the cost goes up a little bit, a little bit more editing. We explain what's included and hopefully we try and include everything. And what's not included, like travel, because we don't know exactly where we're going to be. Try and just really give people a good idea about what's included there. And then if you want any additional music or animation, we can do that, but it's just outside of this cost. Got a few examples so people can see what we've done already. And if they're interested, just add it to their cart and they can go ahead and just buy that straight away on the checkout. And when you do get to this stage, what I want you to do is type in the code in Inventive podcast because that will give you 20% off that price. Um, you can only use that once, but if you've got a few things you want to do, you can certainly put them all together and get that 20% off in one go. And if you need a blog article written, uh, website updates, some new staff photos, or a client case study, do check out inventivepeople.co.uk and make sure you use the uh, discount code Inventive Podcast. The 20% off. Moving on to a few other things I want to talk about. The first on the list is Do Action Cheltenham. Now this is something that is being organised by Elliot Richmond. Elliot's actually a previous guest on the show along with Teresa organises and runs WordPress Cheltenham which is like a meetup where you can go and just be with other WordPress folk whether they be developers or people who just use it. But Do Action Cheltenham is a charity hackathon. Uh, The whole idea is that in one day a charity or non-profit can get a new website designed and built from scratch all the way through to being live in one day. And and with any luck, through the sponsors they'll be using, get hosting for a year or maybe indefinitely, depending on what's going on. We're involved in this. And one of the reasons I wanted to get involved is, one, I've never been involved in the hackathon. So just selfishly, I want to see what this is like. I actually miss working in a bigger company and just doing a bit of an all-nighter. Now, this won't be an all-nighter, but just, you know, it comes to the crunch and everyone is just getting on with what they need to do. I like that because, relatively speaking, things are generally calm in what we do. So, quite selfishly, I want a bit of excitement back in, in doing that sort of thing. But also, I think it's just, it's a good thing to do. And I've always been looking for something that Rather Inventive can put towards uh, the community, really, in a, in a positive way. We're hoping to cover it on the podcast as well. So, in a couple of months' time, hopefully, we'll have that recording and we can share what actually happens during that, that day. Have you heard of these hacked Days, these do action days, Ben. You know what? The, no, the do action one is new to me. But I've heard of, and, and, and I like the idea that that a charity can get some time from it and, and an output because, like we said, we work with a lot of charities, but uh, there are lots of charities where their budgets don't stretch as far as others, let's say. And you can find that actually these tools of websites they can be absolutely essential for delivering that message. So I haven't actually heard of Do Action specifically, but it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. We were on a hack day a couple of months ago. So there's uh, down in Southampton or Winchester even, um, Studio Republic, I think every year put on Hack for Good, which is a similar... I have heard uh, of it, yeah. Yeah, and it was a wonderful day. You were just mentioning about how you know getting involved allows you to give a bit back and also just kind of experience that buzz. And yeah, the, the, the buzz of what people are able to achieve in eight hours is... Yeah. is, is ridiculous when they when you when we put our minds to it you know our collective experience can go far so no it looks like this is going to be wonderful and uh, yeah i hope everyone who gets involved really enjoys the day it's going to be it's going to be a good one I well i think so it's still open for um charities to end if you um go to the url doaction.org slash event slash cheltenham 2019 or just type in do action cheltenham it should come up as one of the first entries. If you're a charity or non-profit and you think this is going to be useful to you, I, th- I think you do have to be based in the Gloucestershire area or you certainly need to be able to get to this somewhere in Cheltenham for the day. You must be there. But if you scroll down the bottom of the page, you can register. I know there's one or two that have already registered or are on board, but I think there's a room for a few more. I'm really looking forward to it. So yes, that's the Do Action Day. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is this TV programme, War on Plastic with Hugh and Anita. Did, have you watched that, Ben? It's on my list. So I, I watched, I saw... The- 
the preview on the one show, which is, I usually watch the one show before leaving the room when EastEnders comes on, when my wife Lorna is watching EastEnders. So I haven't watched this, but it's in my to-do list. I heard a lot of great things about it. And obviously after Blue Planet 2 kind of pushed the critical mass of people thinking about plastics, I think shows like this are really important. So it's on the list. Was it good though? Did you recommend it? What I liked about it is they, they start off by just looking at the problem. Just like you said, it's like really, what is the problem? We think we've got a problem here, but let's see if we have. And one of the most revealing things they did is took a typical street. I actually can't remember where it was, but uh, a street. And they basically got all of the residents of the street to bring out all of their plastic. And then they measured it. They counted up every single bit of plastic. Now, this is plastic, not that you might have for something permanent, but something where it's disposable, perhaps a bit like uh, this, what I'm using as pen box now, but this takeaway plastic container. So it's one of these things that are just ultimately going to end up in a bin or recycling. And then they measured it. And it was really to give them an idea of if they scale that up for the whole of the UK, how much of this disposable plastic are we we talking about? And I really like that because it gave a sense of scale to it that was very um, tangible. And then they were also looking at, so if we do recycle plastic, what actually happens to this plastic? And a lot of it is shipped overseas and not always recycled. Often it's just piled up again and left to leach into the water or the countryside, which yeah. is terrible. We feel we've dealt with the problem. You know, if I feel I recycle, it goes to the council and they they may even feel they pass it on to a waste producer and something is done with it. And it's and it's not dealt with, it's it's passed on to another country and the locals really don't benefit from that. Yeah. They, they uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's horrible really. It's out of sight, out of mind, right? Yeah, it is really bad. But they ended on a high where they were basically saying, look, we can all we can all play our part in this, but it's a lot easier if we stop getting given plastic. So one of the things they at the end is they encourage people to take their plastic back to supermarkets. Yeah, absolutely. And write little notes on it with a hashtag our plastic feedback, take a photograph and then obviously share it on social media, almost to sort of make people make these companies look bad or at least think about it a, a bit more. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really good series. I think there's three episodes and I know it's not connected to do with um, technology. It is a, a little bit about problem solving, but it's just an important thing, I think. So I thought it was worth, if, if no one's seen this program, they should definitely go and watch it. It's very accessible, very interesting, and it will certainly make you think more about disposal plastic in your household, however yeah. big or small that may be. Absolutely. It, it, it's what annoys me when, um, so when Tesco deliver our shopping for us, and immediately after, you know, before putting it into the cupboard, I remove all the plastic, it goes straight in the bin. So that plastics journey, it's gone six miles from the, well, actually it's gone hundreds of miles, but it's traveled six miles to me and then it's right in the bin again. It frustrates me every time it happens. It's a big deal. I think it's regardless of our industry, it's a big deal, you know, I think, and actually I think given how much of an impact these programs are having, uh, it's a responsibility to, uh, to try and perpetuate that. And I like how you were introducing it to your kids as well. It's, it, it was it was accessible enough that your kids could get involved. So there's a stack exchange, so the stack overflow, but there's other flavors for sustainability. And one of them talked about uh, closing the loop. So the idea of rather than, like you were saying, sending this through the system and it goes to the recycling center and then it gets sold, the cardboard gets sold and then whatever, or the plastic gets sold to another country mm-hmm. and then dumped in the river or whatever, that you try and close those loops. And one of them was your food waste. Because I'm, I'm trying to grow onions. Rather unsuccessfully, I'd admit. Why but, onions, um, may I ask? Because apparently they're the easiest thing to, like to, uh, to grow. Okay. But um, I've never had much luck. Have you not? Potatoes no. are my, my thing. But yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, well, this is it. But in closing that loop, I don't, we don't have any food waste now because it goes straight in the compost heap. Right. And that compost heap then feeds into the onions, which we'll then use within the house. So um, one day I'll have a bigger plot. But when I've mastered onions, I'll move on to tomatoes. But yeah, I think sustainability is a massive problem. 
something that we really everyone needs to be behind yeah it is a huge problem i don't know where to go from there because it's it, it's so important the, the one thing i do want people to do if you have a look at the program but there's also a video um that was shared by stephen fry which just has the critical message on it really sort of basically talking about the message and saying what you can what you can do about it and i think the key thing is just to be mindful of it you know understand all of these things because I, I think a lot of it is we don't really see it as a huge problem or it's such a small problem we think well what can i do about it i think we all can if we all if we all have that issue then nothing will happen but anyway right so moving on so just to finish off, I want to make sure everyone knows about our events page. This is just on, on our website, ratherinventive.com slash events. Anything that I'm going to or speaking at um, or any free events that we're putting on are on there. In fact, most, most are free. We've got a couple of uh, good things coming up. Um, I am doing a little talk at WordCamp Brighton, a little small 10-minute lightning talk thing. I know you're going to be at um, WordCamp Brighton as well. Um, yeah, although unfortunately, I so I'm emceeing on a couple of the tracks, but I think not, not- I'm... Not this sort of MC. No, because I'm really bad at, at music and DJ, you know. So I think I'm on the opposite track, so I don't even get a chance to see your talk. So I'll have to catch up on the video afterwards. We haven't actually checked our ratings, but I don't think we had any on there. So let's finish off. Ben, we can find you on Twitter. It's at underscore Ben Everard. And your website is theideabureau.co.co. Yeah, not .co.uk, .co. Yeah. I'm at Ben Canal on Twitter, or you can email hello at ratherinventive.com. And if you listen to this and actually you've got something to add to this conversation, or you've got something important you want to say do do let, drop me a line and you can come on as a guest sponsor of this episode was inventivepeople.co.uk just go on there and use your code inventive podcast for 20 percent off if you if you like this and you want to support the show just let other people know just tell them about it grab their phone subscribe them to this podcast rate us on itunes or if you want you can join our inventive marketing club where we talk about things like five getting five star reviews seo tips we looked at google analytics recently and had a walkthrough on that that's it thank you very much ben for joining us Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having me. My pleasure. And I'll see you soon.